I'm Mark Ramsey, and I'm really thrilled today to have Hernan Lopez. Hernan is the founder and CEO of an audio-on-demand network called Wondery. Welcome, Hernan. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to talk to you this way because you've been around now for about a year, right? A little over. And your background prior to Wondery is from Fox International. Can you talk about that kind of amazing and bizarre transition, not just from television, but from network television and international network television to what most people call the world of podcasting? Yes, and it really starts with my very first job uh, in uh, Argentina, where I'm from, where I work at a cable and radio company back when I was 19 years old, doing college at night and working during the day. And radio was one of the first things that I really loved. Uh, but then my career took me on cable television at a time where cable was growing in audience all around the world. First, I started in Latin America, then when I moved to the U.S. and started working for Fox, uh, we, 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 we saw how the same trends started to play out in different countries all over. And the playbook would be like this. You go into a country and you get to critical mass of audio, of, of um, viewers. And at some point, everybody realizes that consumers are going clearly towards more, um, and more to, towards preferring more and more channels and audience is getting fragmented. And there's just no stopping that. Mm. So agencies, uh, advertising agencies, realize that the better get in and try to find out how is it that they can plan in an environment where instead of having five channels with 10 rating points each, now they have 500 channels with one um, rating point each obviously, mm. or points mm. uh, zero one rating. And um, that, that, that playbook uh, happened all over the world over the 19 years that I was at Fox. I started in advertising sales. Then um, went to um, do um, my business, my MBA in Miami, and then I took my first PNL job in um, in Los Angeles, running right Latin America, and then CEO of International, and then CEO of International. And for about half of that time, I was dreaming of being an entrepreneur. I really wanted to create my own company. I wanted to uh, create something from the ground up. But at the same time, I I I, I was attracted to that. Um, excitement of being in a medium when the medium is getting developed mm -hmm. uh, cable television was uh in the uh 90s uh in international obviously in the u.s well well before that and as on-demand television was in the early part of this century and um i also noticed that or decided that i wanted to do something or i wanted my company to be around something that was a passionate consumer of and podcasts, other than television, were were uh, the second thing that I consumed to the most. Today, I listen to more podcasts than I watch television. Um, so the two ideas got together into one, and that's how I came to uh, create Wondery about a year and change ago. Hmm, interesting. So what lessons do you think, what know-how, what knowledge from television have you found to be particularly helpful as you enter the audio space. It's always occurred to me that there's a lot to learn from the, the video space, the television space that can apply to audio. What, if, what, what do you think? There's a very, probably the single biggest lesson is, is, is a parallel that I, I, I talked about before, about how a change in technology in the television space uh, shaped the kind of shows that were made. 
So if you look at the 90s, uh, the most successful shows were sitcoms and procedurals. And heads of programming essentially created a lot of those shows because as a viewer, you can watch one episode out of three and still understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. Then 2000, 2001, TiVo, um, introduces the world to on-demand television, to television that you can watch from beginning to end, pause, watch in your own time. Uh, then a few years later, we start to understand the concept of binging television when 24 comes comes around. And then next thing that happens, you have shows like The Sopranos and Six Feet Under mm-hmm. and The Wire and The Shield, right? So that's when what we call in television the, the age of serialized, character-driven drama replaces the golden age of procedurals and sitcoms. Obviously, they don't go away entirely, but the, the, the shows that make the most money uh, or, or the, the, the shows that really drive brand, um, brand, brand brand perception in the television space are those serialized characters or dramas like Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, Walking Dead, and so on. Now, the parallel that I make with the audio industry is that if you look at the majority of radio, radio is meant to be consumed live, right? So your your Howard Stern, your um, Elvis, your any uh, radio personality, you know that the majority of your listeners are going to come in at any minute and they're going to leave at any minute. So you have to create your show thinking in that way. Whereas podcasting happens uh, and you have a technological change that allows people to listen to things from beginning to end with a lot of attention. And a show like Serial gets created, right? Serial wouldn't have been possible before because how many people really would listen to a very highly serialized, super attention-seeking show um, on on a fixed time schedule? Not not that many. Mm -hmm. But now with on-demand audio, which is what podcasting is, you can create um, shows like Serial. And we can create shows like Inside Cycle, the the, the reason Mm -hmm. you and I met, Mm -hmm. which we're really looking forward to premiering. Me too. So you're anticipating one of my questions, which is, uh, first of all, what you're talking about with regard to radio versus podcasting, that distinction. Radio is kind of what I like to call the eternal now, right? Whenever you tune in, it's always now, and there's a chance that if I tune in later, I want to hear the same now that I'm hearing at this now, Um, as opposed to on demand, which is literally uh, invites a beginning, a middle, and an end and a sequential type of content, if not a serialized type of content. So that is a distinction. But here's the thing that occurs to me. All hours on radio are not created equal. There are certain hours where there are, the audiences are large and the expectations are clear, and then there's certain other hours that are, I, I guess I would call fringe, uh, which is a, an expression you're familiar with from television. And I I made the point in a post a while ago that was retweeted uh, by a lot of people. And the point was that after 10 o'clock at night, there's almost nothing on the radio, which is better than a podcast. (laughs) So in other words, why isn't there more experimentation to date uh, to put podcast content on radio in these off-fringe hours? That's a very good question. I, I think honestly it's because nobody has tried. Uh, well, I would love to be the company that tries, but it is uh, sometimes those experiments happen because somebody decides that what they have to gain um, offsets what the little they have to lose. So definitely uh, is something I think we should try. Yeah, that's that's a good point. After all, uh, once upon a time, the thought that anyone would change formats to turn Christmas music in the month of December was viewed as insanity. 
And right. now it's something that happens in every single market, pretty much. Right. Right. Um, let's talk about growth in the space. Um, obviously, things have evolved since you got into this. I'm curious to know, kind of from your perspective at the top, how has the space grown? The space for, and, and really, I'm not talking about content as much as I am about the marketplace, the business of podcasting. How has that grown? What is the trajectory? How big is it, and where's it going? Uh, there aren't enough numbers. That's one of the things that the industry is lacking, but the numbers that I've seen speak to a marketplace of about $200 million in advertising revenue in 2016, which itself was thought to be uh, a 50% growth over 2015. And, um, and that's against an audience that is growing at 25% a year. So we're definitely taking market share. We're definitely getting a, a larger power ratio. What will it take for it to uh, um, to reach critical mass? I, I think two things need to happen. One, one is Podcasting needs to reach an inflection point for all of the success, for all of the great shows um, that there are there. There's still only about one in five, maybe one in four people that listen on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. I think in, in a couple of days, actually, Edison Research will come up with their own study. So I'll be very curious to see um, the, the, the 2017 um, Infinite Dial study to see how mm -hmm. much podcasting has grown. But my, my hunch is 25%. Mm -hmm. And... They um, that means there are a lot of people that never listen to it. There are a lot of people that have uh, or, or that are listening frequently. And so I, I think we need to get to the 40 percent um, penetration in order to be seen as uh, a, a viable mass medium. That's that's essentially where cable started to be seen by the agencies as, OK, this is something that I must buy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I don't know which one will come first, but measurement has to. Uh, be on par with uh, other forms of on-demand media. I, I think uh, the ship has sailed in the eyes of advertisers where um, advertisers are not holding, they're not going to hold podcasting to the standards of radio measurement. Uh, they're going to hold podcasting to standards of digital uh, measurement. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine. I think that they'll make us, they'll keep us all more honest. But I, I, I do believe that you, you kind of like need some significant dollars to come in before the um, be, before the big measurement companies uh, get get into the habit of of of, of measuring exactly who's listening and and um, and how much. So, which is the chicken and which is the egg? What has to happen first? I, I think the money will come first because, like many other um, media, where if you look at the the history of cable in the um, 80s in this country and the 90s in Latin America, we had a lot of jerk response advertisers as backfill and the jerk response advertisers mm -hmm. were paying the lowest CPM. So we mm -hmm. we were trying to do everything we could in order to get the brands to come in uh, because we wanted to essentially have more brands and less jerk response so that the CPMs would go up. Here, it, it's, it's not like that at all. I mean, the direct response advertisers pay very healthy CPM and the growth that has come uh, last year is very largely driven by more drug response advertisers, or even by branding advertisers that are measuring the response. Mm -hmm. So I think that the market size will grow no matter what, but then there will, there will be a point in which the marketplace is, all right, maybe it, it's reached, um, it may reach $500 million, um, and then the industry collectively says, you know what, we can and should spend 5% of the money in order to establish a robust measurement system. Mm -hmm. 
how close are we to kind of evolving into the big brands? I mean, um, it, it feels like there are a lot of kind of um, uh, uh, brands that do a lot of podcast advertising, and then there are a lot of brands that steer clear from it. But do we hear um, uh, McDonald's? Do we hear Coke? Do we hear brands like that in the space, and when will we? We have right now, we're running a campaign for Unilever, for Dove Men mm-hmm. Plus Years, the first time that they've ever done podcasting. And uh, But granted, that campaign, as many other campaigns that we heard, uh, the, the big brands are doing in the podcasting space, come from the category of experimentation mm-hmm. uh, budgets. So they're, they're essentially coming to a space, deep in the toes, and, and seeing what works in order to before they uh, they go into much much bigger campaigns, but you'll see you really see uh, brands like um, Goldman Sachs and KPMG at the high end of the um, advertising um, uh, at the high end consumers that they are coming into the space and they're not experimenting. They're really doing branding campaigns, but again, the, 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 those are the advertisers where they are advertising on. Um, podcasting or CNBC or on Wall Street Journal or The Economist. Right? It's, it's not an, an advertiser that you, see, you would see on, on mm-hmm. regular television or radio anyway. What I think is so interesting about you guys is that so many uh, of the podcast platforms are born from public radio people in the public radio space. Mm-hmm. Um, not you. You come from the television space and a very commercial space, and I find that very compelling. Based on that distinction and on um, uh, kind of the plans going forward for Wondery, how are you guys setting yourselves apart from the other players in the space? How do you differentiate? There's a lot of noise out there. Why should listeners focus on Wondery shows versus those from any other provider? We are putting a lot of attention on those highly produced uh, mostly serialized, not necessarily always, but very, very well produced and thought out um, productions like uh, Hollywood and Crime, a show that we just mm-hmm. launched uh, three months ago. And it's the first time that, um, again, another thing that we brought for the television uh, space, uh, the genre of docudrama hadn't been done before. So by mm-hmm. combining first person narration with dramatization by professional actors, we're able to bring stories in the minds of the consumer. We wanted to tell a story, in this case, the Black Dahlia murder and, and seven other related murders. But listeners are able to imagine them in a way that, you know, in television, you, you're not asked to imagine them. You're not, um, you're essentially shown what it is. I don't know that there are many other networks that are doing docudrama. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think there are any other networks that are doing docudrama. We're not uh, seeing, again, I, um, many other networks doing audio drama at the scale that we're doing it. Um, but of course, there's a lot of great content out there. And, the, and you talked about public radio. I, I'm a huge fan of what Gimlet does. I'm a huge fan of what uh, PRX does. And there's so many good shows in the podcasting space that you're right. It is difficult to send that. I, I think listeners should come to Wondery for one show. And, and that show will take them to the next one, and then the next one will take it to the next one. I'm glad you mentioned the the production um, aspect, because I have long argued that uh, people in the audio space, in the radio space more generally, have kind of, uh, that production is a lost art. Uh, the power of audio is a lost art. And uh, you guys have really invested, it, it seems to me, and this is what attracted me to you, 
uh, heavily in the kind of density of audio production so as to create something that people literally haven't heard the likes of before. It's not, conv- it's not radio theater. It's not the kind of pure narrative that you'd hear on a lot of these narrative-oriented podcasts. Um, it's something richer. That was certainly my goal in, in the Inside Psycho Project and why I pitched it to you guys. So it's interesting that it's part of the larger emphasis that you have for the, for the brand and the company. It is um, what we call immersive audio. It, that's really what defines us. So our network brand uh, is a network of storytellers, right? So mm-hmm. that's one unifying theme across all of our shows. But we're particularly interested in immersive audio, audio that helps a listener immerse themselves into the story that's being told. And Inside Psycho is the perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't do it with narration alone. We have to do it with narration, with a great com- with a good combination of narration sound effects and scoring um, and that that essentially handholds listeners into spending um, time with certain emotion and, and sometimes being surprised by the emotion that they find themselves experiencing with just through the power of, of what they hear it. I, I've got to say, for anyone who um, is talented in the audio space, who considers themselves a creator and has some great uh, ideas they want to um, uh, bring to life through audio. Um, working with you and your team, Hernan, really was a dream. It was really wonderful, um, and I, there was a lot of mutual respect. I mean, just the you could tell that you guys had been in the presence of producers and creators and talent before. <laughs> Thank you. In the world of television, most yes, because we've only our experience with audio. It's it's only a year old. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, I just... But you know what? Even in television, we pay a lot of attention to audio because we know that you, you can hear the difference uh, with um, of a television cut before and after scoring and before and after sound effects. And, and you know what the difference is? It is the emotion, right? You, can, you, you, you watch a cut without any sound at all, you barely feel any emotion. Mm-hmm. You watch the same cut with just the voice, you feel a little bit, and then you add scoring and you add sound effects, and that's when all the emotional power comes through. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, and that, I think, is one of the great uh, gifts that uh, your shows are, are giving to those who listen. So thank you for creating those shows. Um, thank you for answering my questions. It's great to hear about the development of the company in the space. Hernan Lopez is founder and CEO of a terrific new um, on-demand audio platform called Wondery. Thank you, Hernan. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure.